right. Welcome back, everybody, to Unpacking the Matrix. It's your girl, your host, Cody. I also go by Cody Chuku if you are, you know, going by the formal way. And today we have a very special episode. We are going to be tackling a topic that, you know, it only felt right to have a special guest here. So today we have a professor that holds a very special place in my heart, uh, someone that was very, very crucial to not only me becoming who I am today, but sparking mm, a passion for Black studies, for learning about social justice, for learning about any and everything about um, the, the community and how to move as a collective. So today we have our friendly neighborhood professor, Damon Cagnolotti. He is an English instructor at Cerritos College for the Emoja Success Program. He is also the CEO of a nonprofit called Emerge. And Emerge stands for Elevated Minds Embracing Righteousness and to Gain Equality. So without further ado, Professor Damon Cagnolotti. Oh man, thank you. That was such an amazing introduction right there. <laughs> I kind of just want to just let that just sit. I, I don't want really <laughs> to open my mouth and mess up anything else now. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. So actually, I would love for you to elaborate more on what Emerge is. If you can speak on that, let the people know what it's about. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cody. And really, just let me start off by saying first, thanks a lot um, just for inviting me onto your platform. And also, I want to just like tip my hat off to you. I would, but I didn't shave my head today. So I'm, a, I'm just metaphorically, I'm going to tip my hat off to you. <laughs> Um, just for creating a, a platform that really focuses on diving below the surface. Um, I'm a huge proponent of, <clears throat> um, I love the water. I'm a huge proponent of um, surfing, especially surfing, swimming, and all of those kind of aquatic activities and things like that. But the reason why I'm such a huge proponent of it, especially as a Black man and living in California, surfing, swimming, all of those things that they say that we don't typically do, um, I'm such a huge proponent of it because it really allows us to physically engage in the act of going below the surface, um, which is such an important and lost practice. Um, some could say that there's an art to it, and I would definitely agree with that. But without going too deep into it, I think just the practice of going beyond the surface, uh, going below the surface is something that's lost on us, especially in the age of social media, where things are kind of pre-constructed uh, to be easily commodified uh, and to be easily consumable. So hats off to you for creating a platform that takes us deeper, um, that allows us to engage in some rigorous um, uh, engagement of some, some, some critical questions um, that help us to understand in a more deep way, in a more fulfilling way, what's going on around us and how things got to be this way. I'm very, very proud of you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Heck yeah. So just to kind of say a little bit about Emerge, um, if I were really kind of summing it up in a, in a nutshell, 
uh, our organization um, <clears throat> really focuses on utilizing hip hop. Um, we we first of all, our organization started in 2002. Um, really, it was a student led, student ran, student um, created organization at um, a local high school here in Los Angeles called King Drew Medical Magnet High School. Uh, it was started in 2002 by a group of uh, young folks. Um, there are about maybe six, there are about six to eight of them, um, who all got together and, um, really just kind of tapped in with, uh, one of the instructors, an English instructor on our campus. And they approached them with an idea of, um, trying to create their own kind of platform, trying to create their own space where they could engage with the community, provide services for the community in the form of book drives, canned food drives, right? Just any sort of type of active community service. And also they wanted to explore the arts. They really took a liking to the arts, um, especially poetry, um, there was a, a a poetry night that um, kind of sparked, uh, I think, the 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 work of the organization off in 2002 um, or 2001, 2002. And really just from that particular moment, just creating that space where young folks could get up in front of their peers and they could share their most intimate thoughts in um, in, 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 in the form of poetry. Um, in a kind of lyrical verse format, right? That really opened up the door for a lot of them to, in a sense, go below the surface and engage with some other thinkers, other creatives who were interested in going below the surface and explore, who were asking critical questions that 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 took them below the surface and that helped them to critically reflect on what was going on in the world around them and how things got to be this way. Um, I joined Emerge as a senior in the following year uh, after it after it came, right? So I mean, you know, if this were saved by the bell, right? I wasn't necessarily with Zach and with Zach Kelly and Slater's class, right? I was with I was I was part of the new class, right? And you know, the new class that actually came on through after um, uh, the 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 charter members, after the founding members, we saw their vision and we wanted to actually just take it, you know, just to the next step. All we wanted to do was just kind of build on the foundation that they actually laid before us and <clears throat> the teacher that they actually tapped for bringing them all together um, was an English teacher by the name of Thomas Lee and he really helped to instill in us a vision of what life could be like really what education could be like if it were something that was constructed on our own terms um, and the way that he got us to engage with these ideas right of determining education on our own terms right um, you know, kind of being able to have an a, a impact or um, presenting us with the possibility of having an impact on shaping, excuse me, on shaping, you know, access to resources in our community. The way that he got us to think about those ideas was through hip hop, <clears throat> by engaging in hip hop songs, textual analysis of lyrics and the topics and, 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 and following the journeys and the lives of, you know, hip hop artists from, you know, old school and at the time, right, the current the, at, at that time, right, the then current kind of new school folks, right? So, you know, old school folks like KRS-One, right? Like Chuck D, uh, Public Enemies, um, Chuck D specifically, right? Um, and then, you know, some of the new school cats like Most Deaf, Dead Prez, right? Um, Nas. Mm -hmm. He helped us to really kind of see hip hop as something more than just a form of entertainment, but really as a, <clears throat> a tool that could spark critical consciousness. Um, and in a certain kind of way, 
it really in in every way he's responsible for the growth that you see in emerge um into now uh a a fully functional 501c3 nonprofit um he kind of planted the seed for that idea one day um when when he he asked us a question hey what would it be like if you guys were actually able to provide some jobs you know um me and my best friend uh DeAndre Rolls at the time we were both a part of Emerge and we were going off to UC Riverside the following year and we were like that that question there really kind of sat with us and we were like huh yeah what would that would be dope what what would that look like mm -hmm. so we started Emerge at UCR and we ended up doing the same um, the same things that we kind of started out as with the foundation providing community service, except we just kind of elevated it to the next level. Uh, we went out and held like a can, not only canned food drives, but we went out to feed the homeless. Uh, we started to, uh, mentoring at local high schools around uh, Riverside, uh, uh, the city of Riverside. And, um, you know, eventually over time, that was just really what our passion was, so much so to the fact that fast forward a few years later in 2015, we started, once we went off through grad school and finished uh, undergrad and all of those sort of kind of things, got, you know, a little bit of a start in our careers, we began to host at local churches how to apply to college workshops. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we ended up um, um, expanding into various community works projects, uh, partnering with the NAACP in Long Beach, uh, working with the 100 Black Men in Long Beach. We've um, kind of uh, worked with them to create, uh, to teach young folks how to, the power of literacy uh, and really the importance of not only reading other people's stories, right, about you, but also the importance of creating those stories about you by you. Uh, so we taught young folks how to write and draw their own graphic novel superheroes. We've uh, created two volumes of graphic novels. Um, and also two, um, we helped to carry on that legacy and that tradition of critical thinking um, by teaching young folks um, the power of mental health and wellness. Um, we've held workshops, um, empowerment workshops, where we teach young folks critical media literacy, and we also teach them um, um, kind of some of the skills of socio-emotional uh, intelligence. And we really focus on young men most recently over the past few years um, by um, helping them to actually explore kind of the crisis in masculinity um, by starting with, for some, right, many of our Black and Brown youth, crisis that begins at home right with the presence or the lack thereof their fathers um and how they actually show up right as parents who are who provide that kind of loving uh environment so out of that we were able to actually produce um letters to our fathers where we have young folks who are writing uh letters directly to their fathers whether they were present or not their fathers and father figures and so really um if that all of that kind of background work helped to set the stage for our most recent project that we are currently involved in, which is a uh, a community partnership with, um, called the Fostering Youth Resiliency Program, uh, where we're partnered with uh, three mentoring organizations, as well as um, a backbone agency by the name of Friends of the Children Los Angeles and um, the LA County DCSF office, uh, one of the local offices, specifically their Vermont branch. Um, so what we do there is we pair young boys, uh, young black boys and foster youth um, ages uh, 12 to 18 
uh, actually even we we've gone even we've expanded our 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 age range um, uh, to actually even include 11 year olds right so I guess we the more accurate way to say it would be from 11 to 18 um, we pair them up with mentors and we offer access to uh, college readiness workshops financial literacy workshops uh, mental health and wellness workshops and also to a variety of different outdoor engagements um, where we go and we visit local museums we do outdoor excursions we have kind of like a weekly um, uh, outdoor hike just something to actually get the young folks up out involved and engaged not only with their mentors but with other young boys who actually look like them and other men who look like them too as well um in a in an effort in a way to create and build community right um um just to kind of sum it up right to really kind of get at the heart and the essence of the mission uh, of emerge uh we use hip-hop as a tool or as a bridge to connect uh, the community to put the community back into college and onto career pathways um, by offering access to uh, mental health and wellness pro, um, uh, workshops, college readiness workshops, financial literacy workshops, and critical reading and writing improvement workshops. That is wonderful. So, thanks. Hope y'all hope y'all heard that and really took that in, and. Y'all really tap into Emerge, get involved, and yes, yes, definitely check this out. If you want to be a mentor, any way that you want to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Here's the here's the way to actually sign up to even just kind of check us out. Just go to our website. Our website is actually called Emerge Los Angeles It's all one word emergelosangeles.org. You can also find us on IG as well under that same name, Emerge Los Angeles. So definitely tap on in, um, click the link in the bio on the IG. It'll take you to our link tree, which gives you all of the uh, latest and greatest updates for our upcoming events. Uh, next week, we're actually hosting a um, uh, a holiday Thanksgiving bundle giveaway at King Drew Medical Magnet High School um, next Wednesday, as a matter of fact. So come on down if you actually want to go ahead on and donate. You can always go directly to the website um, or just come on through. And if you want to donate some of your time, that's really the best form of donation that we can have for doing a mentor hiring drive right now. So come on, come on through, check out the uh, uh, the website. You can sign up to become a mentor, just apply down at the bottom of the website, or just apply by um, tapping in with our IG and going to our uh, our link tree, which is in the bio. Yes, and also all those links will also be in the description box. It'll be in the captions. So yes, all right. So that was a beautiful introduction into Emerge. So that we're going to segue into our topic for today right excellent let's get yeah. it <laughs> so our topic today as you can tell by the title is the concept of the black capitalist now mm. as many of you have seen uh, just in the general discourse going on in the world of the internet specifically on social media. We've heard this terminology be thrown around quite a bit, and we've seen it get thrown around by quite influential figures, um, specifically in the world 
of entertainment, in the world of uh, sports. And we just wanted to just take a moment to really dissect what's really being said, what's really going on here. So I think the first place that uh, I wanted to create or get some clarity, honestly, is just on what it is that we're exactly talking about when we say, when people are saying um, Black capitalists or pro self-proclaiming themselves as a Black capitalist. And just to, you know, break apart the word and just go from there, I was really hoping that Professor Cagnoletti, you could provide some historical context and historical context to the origins of capitalism and how we know it, how it's existed through time and how it exists today. Yeah, sure. Um, so <clears throat> I think well, really, when we're talking about capitalism, what we're talking about is an economic structure. Um, <clears throat> and it, it's an economic structure or another way to think about it, right, is like in terms of a frame, right, um, for a picture. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned museums earlier, right? Museums are like super duper um amazing, right, for all of their art pieces, the variety of different kind of art pieces that they actually have. Um, when you look at a painting and you see the frame or the border around it, right, that's the thing that actually holds the painting itself, right, which is kind of the content um, in place. So when we think about capitalism, that might help us to kind of think about it more clearly. Um, that metaphor of a, of a framing might help us to understand it a little bit more cleanly and clearly as an economic framework, right? It's the the structure in which um, rules, um, norms, behaviors, choices, and ways of knowing exist, right, um, in a in a tightly held or a tightly bound kind of box, okay? Uh, the box itself is capitalism. And when we think about capitalism, oftentimes um, we associate it with, um, you know, just get, getting money, right? And the but the but the philosophy itself that informs that 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 economic framework is more precisely understood as 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 liberalism right liberalism is actually the philosophy uh specifically classical liberalism um 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 that actually informs the 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 economic uh framework itself and so Part of what I want to kind of highlight here is in, in terms of like just kind of laying out some historical context here is <clears throat> we can't think about or separate a conversation or have a conversation about capitalism without talking about liberalism as a classical philosophy, right? Adam Smith is probably like the 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 most premier like kind of classical philosophical thinker, right? If you want to kind of explore a little bit more about Adam Smith writing his theory on economics and liberalism, classical liberalism philosophy, it's worth an exploration. Um, but um, the ideas of folks like Adam Smith Right, get carried on um, into our current day and age by folks like um, uh, Friedrich um, um, uh, Milton Friedrich, um, who 
in a sense, is kind of like the father of modern neoliberalism, right? Or, or excuse me, modern liberalism, or what we call neoliberalism. Um, neoliberalism is a philosophy that espouses a central idea, right? As a new, a, a kind of secular faith, um, it, it posits a way of being, right? A, a way of let me make sure that I kind of get my thoughts here together, right? It represents a kind of new secular faith, which promotes profit and capital as um, the ideal ruling governance structure over a public, right? Mm -hmm. okay. And so when we think about the philosophy of neoliberalism, mm -hmm. which has its early, its early kind of introduction neoliberalism as a as a philosophical principle right um or excuse me as a philosophical foundation has its early introduction in like the late 1970s uh the early 1980s it begins to get enacted right and we begin to see the effects of it specifically as a result of deindustrialization that occurs right from this from like kind of the mid 1970s right uh we have kind of our first wave of deindustrialization where we have factories in right your everyday local town america right even in your everyday uh um uh major major urban enclave right shutting down i'm thinking about the the firestone plant uh out here in los angeles um uh the tire factories um when those factories begin to shut down and they no longer provide a source of employment for um uh the 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 surrounding population the surrounding population in a sense are kind of left um part, pardon the phrase they they're, they're kind of left asked out um and asked out insofar as right they don't necessarily have access to gainful employment um at this time in the early 1970s mid 1970s where we begin to actually see and see in terms of the economic front is a shift toward a shift away from <clears throat> a predominantly industrial form of uh, uh, a predominantly industrial economy industrial based economy right towards a more service oriented economy and as we begin to see that shift right towards just straight services the need for having a college degree increases um, as the requirements for those service-oriented jobs increase, right? Um, while the vast majority of Black and Brown folks at that time did not necessarily have access to higher education degrees or higher education, um, they were, in a sense, folks who were living off of the dreams and the insights of their parents from the previous generation, which was rooted in an industrial form, an, an industrial economy, um, where, you know, you can get out of high school and go down to the factory and go get a job. But what happens to that job when the factory shuts down? And to add another layer onto how the philosophy, right, of neoliberalism begins to kind of take shape and begins to emerge. Um, not only do those factories shut down here in, in, the, in the U.S., right, all across the, the, the nation at that time, right, they don't cease production. They don't stop producing goods, right? G Goodyear doesn't stop producing tires, <laughs> you know, um, 
they ship the factories, right? They relocate them overseas into a more into a um 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 an area in which some of you have a um a uh, a, a labor force that is not only more cost efficient in terms of from the production side um from the management side right it's more cost efficient because they could pay them at a lower wage and they don't have to pay um insurance they don't have to pay um um for healthcare coverage or anything like that right they don't have to pay retirements they don't have to pay uh severance packages or anything of that sort right they can just quite simply pay them a flat rate wage and at a lower rate and so in that sense <clears throat> from on the production side shipping <clears throat> excuse me shipping um or excuse me relocating the production fa factory right or the manufacturing factory to an overseas outlook is more cost efficient and not only can help the company save more money <clears throat> but excuse me from their perspective they think that they're actually helping those people who did not previously earn enough to make a living wage so what i'm describing here is <clears throat> the transition from deindustrialization or rather the coupling of deindustrialization and globalization, right? Early onset globalization that begins in the mid 1970s. Now, from the perspective of the, of, of, from, on the production side, <clears throat> these companies are thinking, right? <clears throat> Mind you, this is also too just on the heels. This is just on the heels of <clears throat> the civil rights, the gains of the civil rights era, right? So from the 1965, 1964, 1965, 1968, uh, Civil Rights Act, <clears throat> Voting Rights Act, right? And the Fair Housing Act, that essentially outlawed the former, the formal practices of <clears throat> institutionalized racism, right? <clears throat> or at least kind of um, outright racism, the, what we what what many of us kind of recognize as you know kind of blatant discrimination mm -hmm. in the areas of housing healthcare education <clears throat> and employment mm -hmm. so now right these companies are looking at <clears throat> oh my gosh we're gonna have to let in a, a a bunch of more workers actually coming on in and we're gonna have to pay out a lot more what's the most economic way that we could actually retain money <clears throat> retain our 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 profits right <clears throat> and still maintain production right they even kind of found a better uh solution right in in um for them right it was a better solution <clears throat> by uh engaging in globalization right by um um resetting up or reestablishing factories overseas <clears throat> now from their perspective that's precisely how they're looking at it as a business transaction so the fact that <clears throat> millions of americans actually lost their jobs at that time and really just from the time of the, the mid 1970s all the way throughout <clears throat> uh the early 1990s the fact that millions of Americans lost their job was just quite simply the cost of doing business for them, right? However, <clears throat> the detrimental effects that that 
loss had, right? That the 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 unwitting and the unwanted results of that trend of that business transaction <clears throat> were externalized on your average everyday American, right? Especially black and brown folks. And the effect that that actually had was, <clears throat> especially for men, right? This created a kind of cultural condition where their perception of masculinity didn't necessarily match up with their lived experience nor the experiences of their forefathers, right? <clears throat> um, and not only that, but also too, it created a condition in which it was way more difficult to try to find a to try to find gainful employment as opposed to just quite simply a job, right? We're talking about there's an increased level of access now to jobs, right? Which are paying minimum wage salaries, um, not enough for a livable wage, but just enough to actually kind of barely make ends meet versus careers, right? Which were disappearing. Right, right. Okay. So the philosophy of neoliberalism <clears throat> emerges out of that kind of historical context, that historical and economic context. Mm -hmm. Capitalism are the rules in which th that says that it's okay for that to okay, to, for, for that to occur. Okay? Mm -hmm. Capitalism sets the rules, the borders and boundaries for accepting, uh, excuse me, that, that would make um, <clears throat> the transition from deindustrialization to globalization, right? And the resulting um, kind of individual and cultural depression, both economically and socially and emotionally, especially for, um, you know, millions of, of, of working poor, black, brown uh, communities. That's the, that's the framework in which all of that is justified as just quite simply chalked up to being the cost of doing business. Mm. So does that kind of help to explain like the, the, the kind of a kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of pulling a strand of, of, of history. Um, the, the most modern kind of historical context out of understand capitalism, the function. Yes, yes, it does. It helps tremendous in a tremendous way. Because we can get into like all the different like areas of how capitalism has uh, has occurred today. That was perfect on how we have gotten to what how we see capitalism today. And so I know you touched on it, um, but I was wondering if you could expand more on the socioeconomical impact, right, that it had on the Black community and communities of, communities of color in general, but specifically the Black community, and how, how that has, uh, how that has sort of have, uh, shaped the mind frame of individuals to now have this perspective and adopt those uh, ideologies and perpetuate those behaviors that create that framework that you're that you're speaking on, and how how that has how that has happened and how that's impacting the community today. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, to say it simply, right, it's capitalism creates a, is a system in is an economic framework and a system in which you create haves and have nots. <clears throat> it's it's oftentimes kind of talked about as um, a system <clears throat> that creates um, haves and has have nots. I like to think of it. I, I think of it better in terms of, <clears throat> I think haves and has nots is, is cool, but um, I, I think of it better as it creating a system and it also to um, kind of being created from um, a, a, a kind of mythological belief in takers and leavers. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting because, you know, the cultural impact of capitalism and really the cultural impact of deindustrialization after the gains of the civil rights movement <clears throat> kind of sort of hinders it 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 hinders and and handicaps black folks so the capitalism as just the most recent <clears throat> based on based on the the uh the emergence of um kind of neoliberalism or the neoliberalist framework which is the 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 philosophy that informs capitalism <clears throat> right capitalism is the kind of rules the rule book in which right the game of neoliberalism right and 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 you know kind of you know a world in which you know everything is freedom and liberalization can can reign supreme <clears throat> the impact of <clears throat> the impact of creating a cultural condition in which <clears throat> liberate um um liberalism kind of reigns supreme, right? Where everybody is free to do whatever it is that they want to do, <clears throat> right? Now, now, mind you, let me also to make a very close distinction, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm talking about liberalism, right? Mm -hmm. And liberalization, mm -hmm. that's distinct. I, I do draw a distinction from, <clears throat> excuse me, freedom, right? Specifically, the kind of freedom that Sojourner Truth, right? That Frederick Douglass, that Ida B. Wells Barnett, right? That um, Malcolm X, that um, <clears throat> Hattie, Hattie McDaniels, right? The tradition out of which, you know, Black struggle for self-determination kind of comes from, right? There's a distinction. So I'm not talking about freedom. Okay. I'll put a pin in that. We'll return back to that later. Okay. Liberalization, refers to playing a game without rules, <clears throat> okay? So <clears throat> the problem with playing a game without rules, right, specifically the economic game without rules <clears throat> is when, we, one, the only players on the board are numbers. They're not even people, <laughs> okay? The only players on the board are numbers. When we're looking at numbers, <clears throat> Black folks, right, <clears throat> around this time, from, from 1970s all the way through now, kind of occupies somewhere around, right, 13%, right, and, and it's never really kind of peaked up higher than about 13 15%. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> in terms of the population <clears throat> in the US. Well, <clears throat> given the other demographics, right, of other groups that are kind of around, right, we look at white folks too as well. They occupy, based on the numbers, a majority stake, right, <clears throat> of the population in the U.S. So when you play a game, you, um, when you play a game using liberalization, right, mm -hmm. as your kind of um, your secret code, right, your debug code, <clears throat> It's a game without rules. It's a game without borders. It's a game without structure, save for the structure that those who are in a majority can create and can maintain and can change at a whim. We're seeing this right now. Word to the abortion rights advocates who are still out there fighting, right? Word to the folks who are fighting for words to the folks who are actually still kind of fighting for right or even kind of the supreme court who has on the on the block right for consideration right the legalization of interracial marriage yeah. right i mean we can go on and on right we can yeah. kind of talk about right i mean you know voting rights protection right words of, so the problem of playing the game right with liberalization is that one people are automatically disappeared and they're replaced the players on that game right are solely based on numbers and when you look at the numbers black folks don't occupy enough numbers right <clears throat> our population density right is nowhere near that right of historically at, at that time right white folks now around the same time too right there was a study uh some sociological studies that were actually done which were <clears throat> some demographic studies that were actually done, which projected that America over time is going to turn brown, browner and browner. Mm -hmm. And that's very true, right? We're seeing this now. <clears throat> we're seeing the effects of this now, right? Um, which is part of the reason, again, right? Word to the folks who were, who <laughs> were in majority, right? Who were slowly trying to take things back to the 1950s, um, <clears throat> who recognized not only the effects of the browning of America, right? Um, but they're also too recognizing or feeling, right? In a, in a cultural sense, a cultural way, a sense of loss, right? A sense of loss that's specifically rooted in power, right? As a result of the game that we're playing, right? Which is kind of utilized, which is leveraged liberalization to become a game to be played, an economic game to be played without rules or without borders. So the effects of this game, however, right? Even before the kind of the, the we, we recognize um, the effects of the browning of America, right? The effects of this game had already been felt by the time that deindustrialization had started. <clears throat> the effects of this game had already been played 170 some odd years all the way up until that particular point, right? <clears throat> the effects of that game made it very, very clear to not only <clears throat> Black folks and brown folks and Asians and 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 white folks too as well, right? Especially, right? Um, that really there are two kinds of people that exist in the US, takers or leavers. 
right? Mm -hmm. The takers are the folks who have power and also have, right, the majority of not only the perspective, right? And, and understand what I'm saying here, right? The perspective of law, right, on their side, right, and in their favor, but also to the perspective of gainful employment on their side and in their favor, and the perspective of, right, a solid education, right, educational institution that provides access to resources, right, enough, plenty resources, was on their side, so on and so forth. Healthcare too, mm -hmm. housing as well, and especially. These are all... Um, <clears throat> entrance points into um, legacy building or generational wealth um, building, right? <clears throat> so the game as it's the economic game of capitalism, right, which is played um, which had been played all the way up until this point with a, 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 almost kind of a, a sole exclusive um, kind of majority or a sole exclusive um, uh, privilege of whiteness <laughs> uh, kind of moving as it pleased, right? In and out, gaining access to those institutions that I mentioned just a second ago, housing, education, house, uh, housing, education, healthcare, employment, <clears throat> was able to move freely right on through those spaces, right? Liberalism only actually works when you have access to or you have secured access to institutional resources that people need to live, right, um, very firmly. Once you've secured those resources, then of course, right, liberalization can work very, very, very well, mm -hmm. especially for those who were in the majority and for those who are in the seat of power they their roles now become that of takers right <clears throat> who determine who gains access to those institutional resources that people need to live right and to survive um <clears throat> and for those who do not gain access right or those who should not mm -hmm. now the unique thing about the the civil rights movement was that it was perhaps one of the loudest, not the first, but one of the loudest and most um, um, vivid um, um, illustration of folks who would be right considered kind of like from the lever um, groups. It was the most loud and, and, and most vivid demonstration of them calling out injustice, rightfully so, in a way that the world and the country, even those folks, right, who didn't necessarily, who had never seen people of color before, right, or who had never seen a black person before, who had never seen a brown person before, <clears throat> when they see on the TV, okay, well, wait, whoa, wait a minute, well, that that's not, we shouldn't be hosing down people, right, we can't necessarily let the dogs out on them, I'm not with that part, you know, I mean, I'm with having this exclusive access to this, to this job, you know what I'm saying, you know, man, she had my granddaddy had the job, you know, man, my, my granddaddy's granddaddy and, you know, his granddaddy before him, I'm with that, but I'm not necessarily with all of what it is that we're actually doing was being captured and, and, and put on display here, right, so that was perhaps maybe the most loud and vivid portrayal that we saw of <clears throat> the story and the mythos of capitalism not 
reflecting the reality in which it it kind of takes to maintain it, right? Where what you have that's sublimated or kept in the dark, right? That's required to be kept in the dark doesn't want to stay in the dark no more. That's what happens when, um, you know, in a sense, right? You know, Freddy Krueger kind of creeps up from the basement and and surprises y'all in your dreams, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 not to disparage or even to kind of um create that that uh, um. I just realized what I did there. I kind of sort of created an analogy between the Freddy Krueger <laughs> and uh, and the civil rights movement. That's that's not so much the, the the point that I want to try to drive home here, but just rather, quite simply, the the to be more clear, right? <clears throat> the nightmare of the guilt that white folks felt about what they knew that they were doing mm. prepped up. Yeah. And actually, and got at them. That's what they were really confronting when they were seeing Black folks getting hosed down, right? When they were seeing the dogs being released on them, right? As they were watching the protests and the unrest, as we were watching or reading about Mamie Till, right? Revealing the casket of her baby boy being, you know, completely brutalized and murdered, right? The guilt of white folks is 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 that Freddy Krueger, um, which which ultimately helped to kind of in a sense um, open up some access, right? Some access to those institutions that that we need to live. Um, however, as soon as that access was open, or just as soon as that access was open, not mm-hmm. even ten years had passed before deindustrialization had had taken had taken effect, mm-hmm. right? So the economic system of capitalism, right, as the primary mode by which individuals can, um, you know, extract the most amount of profit, right, or the most amount of resources with the minimum, by spending the minimal amount of labor, the impact socially and economically that that particular moment there actually had on Black folks was it already created and planted the seeds that Yo, in order to actually get by, I need to become a taker. Mm. Hence, mm. the drug pandemic. Mm. Okay, speak on it. The 1970s <clears throat> found, especially in major urban enclaves, Unemployment at some at its height, not even really that far after the civil rights movement, like it's as early as 1966, 1968, right? We begin to actually see not only white flight, mm-hmm. but also too, right? <clears throat> we begin to actually see unemployment mm-hmm. creeping up, especially amongst black and brown communities, especially in black urban enclaves. Mm-hmm. Now, because factories are shutting down, Unemployment is skyrocketing. Lack of access to available careers, right? Nothing more than just quite simply jobs. Not enough to actually cover or make ends meet. Um, Not enough to actually cover, right, the basic needs of their family. Creates an economic situation or an economic hardship that highlights a need, especially within these Black and Brown communities, especially for Black folks who need to actually feed their family. What now becomes available? Well, 
access to since we're experiencing a kind of shift right from an industrial economy right towards a more service oriented economy jobs are not available in that in that above ground kind of or in that in that um new service oriented economy right however jobs are rapidly becoming available work not jobs but work is becoming rapidly available in the underground economy right and not only is work becoming more available in the underground economy, right? So here we're thinking specifically, right, about drug sales, drug trafficking, right, so on and so forth. But as a result of the kind of disconnection, right, the, the dissonance that Black men... And to some degree, to, 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 to some extent as well, right, Black women experience as a result of not being able to hold down a job while their spouse or their counterpart actually is holding down a job, right? In a culture where the perception of what it actually means, the very value of what it means to be a man, right? I'm gonna talk about the brothers for a second. With the value of what it means to be a man is at a foundational level, tied together with it's synonymous with the job with the career that they have right why because the values of what it means the values of manhood that are popular and circulating at this time even even before right that they're kind of born into right the lenses of masculinity that that these young men or that these men at this time right have have kind of been born into say that the value of masculinity is based on one's ability to provide for their family, right? So men are provider figures, period, point blank. If a man cannot provide, he is not a man, right? That means that he is dependent, not independent, right? Independence is another value, right? Um, Being able to uh, create stability, right? In the household, right? Being able to lead, Right. These are other values that inform what it means to be a man and that are popular and circulating at this time. These are the the lenses of masculinity that men are born into, uh, the cultural lenses of masculinity that men are born into at this particular time. When their reality doesn't match up with those lenses, right, that they're looking at. It's kind of similar to how, like, you know, when 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 young folks today kind of look at IG and they're like, oh, snap, yo, you know what, man, I need to, yo, I just started this job, but I need to actually be the manager. I need to be the boss right quick, like right fast right now. How I go ahead on and I get this right now. I want it now. Man, shoot, I see. They don't say it consciously. Say, say it again. I'm sorry. The instant gratification. Instant gratification, right? It's similar to how <clears throat> when young folks today see what's on social media and they can't miss the, the the reality of their life doesn't match up with what it is that they actually see on social media, which provides a steady stream of instant gratification. And they only show you the pretty parts, not the struggle, right? But they show you the pretty parts of the effects of their journey or the effects of someone's sponsorship, right? When they see that their lives don't match up with what, what it looks like on social media, right? That creates a kind of cognitive dissonance where they now begin to experience themselves fragmentarily within the structured confines of, taking us back to the top, capitalism. Capitalism creates a cultural condition specifically, right, for 
um, black and brown folks, well, I'm going to talk about black men in particular right now, right? It creates a cultural context in which black men cannot fully experience themselves, right? As fully human, um, 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 I don't want to say fully human, um, but as somebody, as somebody who matters, as somebody who whose value extends beyond their ability to provide. Mm. It creates a cultural condition in which Black men are only made to feel whole, not with their family, mm. not with their connection to the community, mm. not with their ability to give back to others and to fulfill the lives, right, of others, not so much through monetary means, right, but just quite simply like through their time. It creates a cultural condition in which Black men are forced to experience themselves <clears throat> contingent upon their ability to be providers, to provide stability, financial stability, right, to be leaders and to be the heads of household in an economic condition or an economic um, uh, situation where they don't have access to any sort of kind of gainful employment, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And to, to add to that, right, or to Greg's point, is that where you can say the, the pride in proclaiming um, themselves or someone proclaiming themselves as a black capitalist is that where it comes from just that where their values lie in 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 that you know what i would say that's the origin story for that black capitalist that's what i'm laying out here is the origin story for the black capitalist that as we know him today mind you let me be very clear too black capitalism ain't nothing new the fact that folks are actually using this phrase right now, that's nothing new. That is absolutely nothing new. You want to actually see somebody who was talking about Black capitalism way before Jay-Z, way before whoever else it was, Kanye, <laughs> go look at Booker T. Washington, okay? Mm -hmm. Right? Go study the, 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 go study the critiques of that folks actually have, not only of Booker T. Washington, but also to look at the support that that brother actually had. Let's be very, very clear. Booker T. Washington, <clears throat> and I'm going to actually kind of, I'm going to bring this right on back up to the origin story, right? Booker T. Washington espoused in, in a, a philosophy of economic independence, which at its heart is kind of the, <clears throat> it's one of the, the necessary ingredients for capitalism. Booker T. Washington was very, very clear about what the path to liberation and self-determination was for Black folks, specifically coming out of slavery. Right. There's no coincidence about that because the purest experiments in capitalism and unfettered capitalism that's the phrase that pays when it comes to neoliberalism. That's one of the driving central values that, excuse me, one of the driving central descriptors that informs that specific version of capitalism that they espouse, right? That neoliberalists actually espouse, unfettered capitalism. It's the game without rules, okay? Uninterrupted, unimpinged, unhindered 
by things like justice. <laughs> the only justice that actually existed on the slave plantation was that which was actually extended through the crack of a whip, right? Mm -hmm. that, was, that was how justice was conceptualized in that purest experiment of capitalism, right? The game played without rules. So Booker T. Washington was very clear about how that game there was actually played and also how some folks maybe not necessarily won, but how they at the very least could get beyond simply surviving and into the mode of thriving, right? And being able to provide for not only themselves, but also to a community, okay? So let's be very clear. That's not the version of capitalism that I think um, is being espoused, for sure not by Kanye West, okay? Um, Jay-Z is probably a little bit more, he's a little closer to that philosophy, way closer to that philosophy than, than I would say Kanye, um, than I would say that Kanye West might actually kind of be, but I'm splitting hairs at that particular point. Um, so reconnecting this back up to the origin story, right, of the, of our modern day black capitalists, <clears throat> that's where it came from. Jay-Z is from where? RC projects. Brother was born in the late 60s. Mm. He grew up throughout the 70s, so he got to see firsthand exactly what deindustrialization looked like with what he was the youngest of what 10 kids, right? Jay, you name a rapper. They grew up during this time. This is effectively, right? The era, the, the children of this era are effectively affectionately known um, by uh, some cultural critics and scholars like Bakari Kitwana as the hip hop generation, right? Emery Petschauer also talks about this hip hop generation as those who were born um, between the years of 1965 through 1984, okay? So when it comes to, um, you know, the kind of the historical context, um, out of which this this kind of modern iteration of black capitalist comes from, that's the backdrop that we actually kind of see, right? Um, that's the backdrop out of which they actually emerge, right? Daddy may or may not have actually been there. If he was there, sometimes he may have actually been on drugs, so he may have been in and out of the house, right? Um, and I'm I'm speaking very general. I'm really kind of recounting a lot of rap tales and the 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 family stories the family histories of some of our favorite rappers right um because these were the the youth who actually got to witness this firsthand this is why we have to pay very close attention to hip-hop as something more than just a form of entertainment right but they got to actually see daddy was there one day and then he was gone lost to the streets right chasing the white horse, right? Um, so the children seeing mom holding down one, two, sometimes three jobs, multiple kids, them having now, right? You have an entire generation of kids who have to, in a sense, raise other kids. Um, they have to actually watch over, not only watch over, but watch out for, provide for in whatever way it is that they kind of can, their kids, their brothers, their sisters, right? The neighbor's children, so on and so forth, right? And what we begin to see during that time are the children of what effect what effectively become low wage workers, right? 
your maids, right? Your um your hotel your hotel maids, right? Your um um uh, your service clerks, right? At the local stores, um <clears throat> you know your 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 laundry attendants, so on and so forth, right? These folks who are making who have jobs, not careers, but jobs, right? Who are barely making enough to make ends meet. You have the children sitting up there watching mommy struggle every single day and pops and, and living with the loss of pops not being there. And Ray Ray down the block with the BMW, with the gold chains or with the Cadillac and with the very fresh fly shark skin suit shimmering, <laughs> looking like he just was dipped in butter glistening. <laughs> <laughs> yo how you yeah how you do that mm -hmm. come here youngster let me holler at you right now we begin to actually see the cultural context the historical and economic context out of which so many of our are our, our kind of what what the media actually calls like kind of glorification of drug violence and and and, and drug activities it's not a it's not a glorification this is these are memoirs <laughs> that that these folks in in rap songs right that folks like Jay that folks like Nas are talking about right when they say um you know uh when they recount these different experiences that they actually have of either participating right in the drug pandemic of the late 1970s and the early 1980s or they witness it right um this is this is this is where that comes from. These are kind of memories of what it is that they experienced, either firsthand or thirdhand. And so, <clears throat> what? Let's stop and think for a second. Mm. What kind of impact does it have? Even before they actually get to Ray Ray, mm. what kind of impact emotionally? Mm. I don't want to deal with the psychological just yet. We can think about the psychological. I don't think that we could separate psychology from the emotions, right? But let's focus on the feelings for a second. Mm -hmm. How do we think that struggle that they're exposed to, right, that they're made to witness affects a young person watching their mother struggle or do whatever it is that she can possibly think of to make ends meet just to make sure that they have food on the table. What kind of impact does that have on the emotional mind state of that young person? At the very least, it's gonna actually create a kind of condition or a, um, um, a an aversion <laughs> towards poverty, right? Or towards anything that's associated with it. Mm -hmm. And the mindset and the values, right, that are even kind of associated with poverty. It's going to kind of create an aversion towards anything that's going to actually lead me to not get this money. Mm. Not saying that they're going to be successful at avoiding that or at, at, at averting that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Very few actually are. Why? Because the rules of the system mm -hmm. are not structured in such a way that it creates access mm. wide scale access for everybody to come right on in and through why because the game is played based on the numbers right. and the folks who actually have the majority of the numbers 
are sitting in those gateways, sitting at those gateways, sitting in those positions of power and authority to say who gets access and who does not. So the kind of impact that 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 experience has on um um, do, do I think that that experience there kind of shapes black capitalism? Yes, but I think that it's a lot more complicated and complex than it just quite simply leading to, um, 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 you know, Jay-Z calling himself a black capitalist, right? Or, um, or, or Kanye, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh calling himself a black capitalist. Jay-Z and Kanye come from two totally different, like, kind of households, two totally different economic situations. <clears throat> um, but, I do think that those cultural conditions, especially for those folks who were made to witness it kind of firsthand and even thirdhand, right? Or from the third person perspective, I do think that it creates a it, it, it creates a newfound set of lenses, right? Or it kind of refurbishes the lenses that were already kind of present, the 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 lenses of of, of capitalism, right? It refurbishes them. And kind of like how the Ray-Ban Wayfarers kind of came back, right? It kind of refurbishes them, right? It brings it back and it puts them on the eyes of these young folks from a very early age to show them, hey, this is not what you want. This is what you want. You want to actually get this money. You don't have to necessarily keep it authentic or kind of, you know, you, the name of the game is to actually get this money. So we need to keep it profitable. That's the situation, right? And the memories, right? The um, the emotional context. I think it creates the emotional conditions out of which, right? The drive for or the 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 profit motive to now become personalized um, and to take ascendancy within their psyche, right? I think that's kind of what creates that emotional condition for the profit motive to reign supreme in the mind's eye of these young folks who were young, folks who were young at the time, witnessing mommy struggle, watching daddy leave the house, looking at folks actually get strung out on drugs all throughout the entire neighborhood that they grew up in. And then ultimately it leads them to get to Ray Ray. Here I'm thinking of Raekwon, right? When he kind of recounts his experiences, right? Um, growing up after he moved to Shaolin Land in the song Cream, right? Which is the 1993 song from Wu-Tang Clan, right? The classic, right? <clears throat> Moms bounced on old men, so then we moved to Shaolin Land. A young youth rocking the gold tooth, low goose. Only way I began to G off was drug loot, mm. right? This is, this is, I think, what kind of leads to that motivation, right? That profit motivation, because they're looking at what the heck is going on around them, and it don't really take a Phi Beta Kappa to discern whether or not, oh, wait a minute, yo, this is definitely not what I want. I don't want to see my mom struggling. I don't want my little sister to be sitting up here talking about, yo, I'm hungry right here in the stomach growling. I don't want my little brother to have to worry about whether or not he's going to have shoes or pants, you know, for, for the next day at school and have people like just kind of ridicule him and have him experience social isolation. I don't want none of that stuff. So, you know what? I got to go ahead on and do what I got to do and make these moves. It becomes in a certain kind of way, a move to survive right, a move out of a struggle for survival that really we take on or that, 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 um, that folks actually took, had, had, had to kind of take on uh, in a certain kind of way because of a lack of access to gainful employment. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, we got to just, 
marinate on everything, and then marinate on that. But I think that, first of all, I wanna thank you very much for your time and this honestly enlightening conversation that we just had and the knowledge that you've just brought to everybody listening, everybody watching. And there were many things, many gems that we all um, should be meditating on and really taking in to not only understand where we've been and how we got to where we are now, but also how to be aware of the, the themes that we see coming back as being recycled. And like how you said, this is not the first time that, you know, we have encountered um capitalist black capitalists the concept of that how it's not the first time that we have you know been faced with uh neoliberalism it's not the first time that we're having this conversation about who has access to what um is just about educating ourselves and understanding how we are being programmed and how we can not contribute to the narratives that are being pushed onto us and what's being perpetuated as well. So again, I thank you so very much for this time. And let's see, do you have any last words for the people? Any, um, anything you would like to say to wrap up our time? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Really, um, I think if I could leave just one more, one more jewel in your skull that you could sell if you choose. Um, Black folks, and I'm talking about historically, always thought about creative ways to navigate through the structures of capitalism. Do not sell off or write off or ignore the lessons from your past. Explore more. Instead, lean into them. Go figure out what is Ujima? What is cooperative economics? What was Frederick Douglass's plan, or excuse me, uh, Booker T. Washington's plan, and Frederick Douglass too, for that matter. What were their economic philosophies? What did they actually espouse as the best route for the best route forward for folks to achieve? Here's a word that I want y'all to actually walk away with. We're not after liberty <laughs> and justice and 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 those sort of kind of things. What we, I think what I would argue that we, that we, that serves black folks better on a collective level, right? Self-determination. 
How do we achieve economic self-determination? How do we achieve spiritual self-determination? How do we achieve intellectual self-determination, right? The emotional self-determination. These That concept of self-determination is probably the biggest jewel that I could actually offer for y'all to explore as you begin to move forward. Thank you so much for that. And uh, for our audience, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to comment them down below. And we have our, we'll also have contact information, websites, all information in the descriptions, captions, um, wherever you're receiving um, our podcast. Uh, again, for uh, for Unpacking the Matrix, we are on Spotify, we're on Apple, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and um, please share, 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 and also to, again, plugging Emerge please check it out and get involved in any way that you can. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe, stay safe, stay healthy, and be blessed, y'all. Peace.